Hello, and welcome to episode two of The Right Interpretation. Back with us are three participants from week one, Margie Lemoyne, Megan Sanders, and Carla Tuttle. This week, we will be discussing Stand by Jericho Brown. Brown has won numerous awards for his books of poetry, including the Pulitzer Prize in 2019, one of poetry's highest honors. He is the director of the creative writing program and a professor at Emory University. Let us begin with a reading of the poem by the author himself. Stand. Peace on this planet, for God's glory. We lay there together as if we were getting something done. It felt like imagining a garden, and planning a meal for a people who still need feeding. All that touching or barely touching, not saying much, not adding anything, the cushion of it, the skin, an occasional sigh, all seemed like work worth mastering. I'm sure somebody died while we made love, somebody killed, somebody black. I thought then of holding you as a political act I may as well have held myself. We didn't stand for one thought, didn't do a damn thing. And though you left me, I'm glad we didn't. Okay, we'll begin our discussion with a, uh, discussing the title, um, and we'll begin with Carla. When I first look at the title, I'm not sure if the word stand is a noun or a verb. Is the author commanding the reader to literally stand up? Does he want us to take a stand? Is this poem about someone who took a stand for or against something? And if so, what? Does it refer to someone who is standing by watching, being passive instead of acting, allowing some action to take place without getting involved? I think of the phrase stand up, but I also think of the phrase stand down. And I'm wondering if the poem is going to be inspirational as in stand up for what is right or stand up for what you believe in or a warning to stand down, cease and desist. Yeah, I, I immediately thought of stand as standing up for something, the verb, go ahead and, and standing up for something. Yeah, I think of standing up for something too, but even more than just standing up, but standing strong. I think of strength when I hear the title. Right. And I think because we have so much civil rights things going on and so many like so movement, so many movements going on, I think that's part of the reason why we make all these connections to stand up. I think that's why I initially stand. that's why I think sure. that's why I initially thought of standing up for something as well. Yeah. Okay, Carla, continue with the paraphrase. Okay, so there are eight sentences in the poem. And in the first sentence, the speaker seems to contemplate a contrast as he and his partner are lying together. They are uninvolved and seemingly disconnected from the dichotomy of their environment. And it's most likely not their immediate environment, and hence that's their disconnect. Part of the world around them seems to promote peace and harmony and part seems to embrace violence. And the way the sentence begins, this or that, peace or guns, suggests a choice, yet the speaker and his partner are not making a choice. They're just lying there. 
he says, as if we were getting something done, as if they were doing something important. Then the second sentence, the speaker comments on the hope and possibility of their relationship, such as the rewards from planting a garden, watching something grow and reach fruition, but also on the enormity and the difficulty of trying to make it work. He says, or planning a meal for a people who still need feeding. And at first glance, you might think he means cooking for friends or family, but he says a people and not just people. So is that a race of people who still need feeding or um, a specific group of people? Do they literally or do they figuratively need feeding? And he also alludes to the fact that he and his partner might have some communication issues. Sometimes they're intimate, he says all that touching, but sometimes they are barely touching, not saying much, not adding anything. And the third sentence follows up on the second with the idea of work. There's a familiarity in their relationship when he mentions the cushion of it, the skin and occasional sigh. But he suggests overall the relationship is constant work that will be worth the struggle. And is the sigh a sigh of contentment? Is it from exasperation or exhaustion? And then the fourth sentence, he comments that life kept happening around them while he and his partner were not together. Someone probably died and someone somewhere dies every day, but he and his partner were either not aware or were not concerned with it. In the fifth sentence, the speaker suddenly does seem concerned about what's happening in the world around him and his partner. He mentions somebody killed somebody black. And the poet and the speaker don't have to be one and the same. However, in this case, the poem seems very personal. As a black male, this poet has seen firsthand how our country devalues non-white individuals. So maybe he assumes that while life continues continues happening outside the world of him and his partner, injustice continues to happen. In the sixth sentence, he remembers how he briefly contemplated holding you as a political act. He addresses his partner and mentions that he considered making a statement about rights for the LGBTQ community, holding his partner close to show how he could love whom he pleased. And in the seventh sentence, he comments that it would have been just as effective as a black male to use himself to make a political statement to stand up for racial equity. And finally, in the, the last sentence, he admits that he and his partner did not take a stand for or against anything. They were both passive and perhaps instead focused only on themselves and their relationship. So we find out that he and his partner are no longer together I mean, it seems not to have been a mutual breakup because he says, and though you have left me. And then at the end, he expresses satisfaction in the fact that they did not take a stand. That's Megan. Uh, well, so I, I had a question because at the end, when you said the you have left me, I, I agree that it's not mutual, but to me, I kind of took that, especially with all of the talk of death and, and killing, that I kind of had the idea that you have left me as in like you have left this earth, like you have died. And so I didn't necessarily read that as a breakup as much as like, I, I was holding you as a political act. I may as well have held myself because my arms are now empty because you have left me as if, as in you had died. I don't know if you guys saw it the same way or if you thought it was definitely a breakup. 
I, I can see it both ways and I'll comment on that a little bit later um, okay. in some of my other comments, but um, I mean, I can, I can address that now or I can address that later. But I think I saw it more as a breakup and, and who knows if I'm right because I've right. thought about this poem for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he says you have left me and not you were taken from me or um, I lost you. I don't know. I assumed it was a breakup, but again, I don't know. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. I, I really didn't even read it as a possibility that he was taken from him. That's an oh. interesting interpretation. I mean, yeah. I think it's a fair one, definitely, but I didn't read it that way. Okay. But for those of you who are listening either in the class or just to the podcast, that's one way to go through a poem is to look at each individual sentence, not necessarily a line, yeah. uh, as you start to paraphrase and put together what the poem is about. So we'll move on to connotation and look at some of the literary devices in the poem. I'm drawn to the diction in the poem, especially within the phrases, peace on the planet, planting a garden and planting a meal. And while diction is the choice use of words and phrases for meaning, often in poetry, we tend to focus on more difficult words, larger words, thinking they'll give us more insight. And I think that's sometimes true, but I think in this case, we, we don't have a lot of very difficult words. And what we often miss, and I'm guilty of this, is glossing over very familiar phrases. Everyone here, on this podcast and everyone who listens will understand the phrases peace on the planet or peace on the earth planting a garden and planting a meal to me the diction of the phrases gives me a comfortable feeling of something i can easily identify with i think it's the lack of difficult words that helps me understand the poem um, the author is with his significant other in this poem and to me that feeling is just as comfortable as peace planting and planning which i understand i also think the which, by the way i'm sorry to cut you off but i just i just noticed that the three positive things that you just said were also alliterative too so like that's kind of cool <laughs> they all start with peas i'll give credit to, i'll give credit to him for that okay um, I, I didn't do that on purpose <laughs> I think the structure of the poem, which is if you if you go and read the poem, it's one long stanza with three and four word lines, and it does what was it eight eight sentences, but it's a lot of short lines, and these shorter lines make the poem read rather fast. I think this is important to the title stand. Uh, soon after you begin reading, the poem is over. The author could have stood up against racism, but by the time he reacted, the moment had passed. And to me, the same idea occurs in Hamlet. By the time he finally acts in the play, it's too late. So I think it's a good lesson. And perhaps we could discuss that at theme, um, you know, act. But I think it's interesting how the poem itself moves you along um, and, and makes the poem go a little bit fast. And sometimes we live life a little, a life a little too fast. And finally, for me, this is one of those poems that really hits organic imagery hard. Uh, to me, organic imagery is emotional imagery, such as love, fear, anxiety, and pain. And there are many more, but I think the emotional imagery in this poem of love is the most dominant. Um, to me, this, this love of being with another person trumps any other organic imagery. Fear, regret, anxiety. I, for some reason, I see that most people would, would, 
would take worry or regret or anxiety, um, we would be willing to deal with those if they could actually love one another and know that somebody loved them in return. I think that's the emotion most people would rather have. They would for, forgo all other emotions if they could have that one. Uh, Victor Hugo said, one of the greatest things in life is to die knowing that we've been loved. So I think, I think to me, that organic imagery there is the most important. Um, something that I noticed right off the bat when I was reading this poem was uh, the the structure of the poem, so the enjambment especially. So like most poems you see like longer lines, they might have like broken up into stanzas, they might have like regular groupings of, of four lines or like generally the same length, but this one is all one big line, one big poem, one big stanza with no breaks in between. Um, and like Carla said at the very beginning, there are eight sentences here, but it's interesting that none of the periods except the very last one actually end at the end of a line. Um, and it, it, since it doesn't have regular like line lengths, it could very easily have done that. Like even if you just look the as a political act, I may as well have held myself. Like the I could very like it's it's one syllable. Like you could put that on the next line. And it wouldn't change the length of the line over much. So it, it feels deliberate to not have um, the end stopped lines anywhere except at the very end. Um, and so I, I think that um, there is a great deal of punctuation. And a lot of it happens in the middle of the line, which causes you to kind of pause and hang at a word before following into the end. So one of the ones that stood out to me a lot was that line at the end where it says, we didn't stand for one thought, didn't do a damn thing. So the, the line is all of what I just said, but it, the line breaks goes with, we didn't, which makes you pause for a second to consider what? We didn't stand, we didn't do anything, we didn't deserve it. Um, it, it allows for you to kind of pause on the negation rather than on the, the thing that they didn't do, um, which to me adds kind of a layer of, of regret, of anxiety, of questioning throughout the whole poem. Um, and then also it's interesting, the length of the sentences go much shorter as you go on in the poem. The very first one is like, well, I, I didn't count it, but like 10 or 10 lines or something. Hmm. Whereas by the end, the next sentences are two or three lines. Um, and so maybe the speaker is considering the dire consequences of his love. Like it's, it's causing him to, to be more serious and more um, reflective. He's, it's slowing down the amount that he's thinking for each one. Um, so it, the, the sentences sound for me more matter of fact, more gr grief stricken than the long flowy ones. Um, I want to comment too on enjambment. Now, I don't use that word regularly when I'm looking at poetry. I had to look it up to be sure oh. what you were talking about. And I, yeah. I, I knew what you were talking about, but yeah. I wanted to know more about the word anyway. And so uh, enjambment actually comes from the word to straddle, means to straddle. So mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to me that the thought, complete thought, is straddling uh, the lines. Mm. Right. 
Um, it does add to the complexity of the poem. I think it also emphasizes the complexity of the choices, maybe that he's making, the speaker is making the issues he's exploring. The breaks, the line breaks seem to emphasize his struggle and his reflection of his choices. I think this is an interesting discussion of devices because we're not really talking about similes and metaphors and things that you would normally talk about in a poem. And I think because this is such a personal poem and it's more narrative in nature, I think the author uses fewer rhetorical devices like we would look at in a normal sort of more classical poem. Uh, the poem has more of a real what happened in his life feel than it does a metaphorical, let's figure out what this really means to me. And I thought his use of capitalization was interesting. He capitalizes yeah. the first word of each line, but some of the capitalized words seem to hold more significance and weight. Um, he says barely touching and barely is capitalized. He says not adding anything and anything is capitalized. So when I heard that in my head, um, I automatically put emphasis on anything. And then he says the occasional sigh, and, and occasional is capitalized as well as mastering. So these seem like words that the poet wants the reader to notice even more than some of the other words in the poem. Barely touching to me suggested this great void um, in the relationship between him and his partner. And not saying much, not adding anything, suggests that they are not communicating at all, or at least they're not conversing about anything of value. And now when I look at it, the occasional sigh seems like one of contentment, and maybe he and his partner are only happy together occasionally. And then when I went back and, and read Mastering, that suggests to me that the two of them were perhaps trying to conquer their relationship and whatever problems the two of them had. But then we see at the end of the poem that they were not successful. And, and I took the mastering as mastering their relationship instead of mastering all of these other issues that he names that were happening around them. And I'll go into more detail about that later. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because that cap capitalization that you're talking about is also part of the enjambment, right? Like, by breaking the line where he does, it makes it a, a an like an easy way for him to add that emphasis with the capitalization, too. Um, and it's something that I, I think that I saw this in a way that's different than you guys did. Um, and so maybe I'm just completely wrong and reading these things incorrectly, but... So the way I read this poem is that since it starts with such like big grandiose things with the peace on the planet and guns glowing hot, um, it, and then it goes down into like these, this smaller, this couple relationship. Um, and it, every time it talks about the relationship, it has these words that seem to add a, a tone of regret for me as we lay here, lay here together as if we were getting something done, makes it sound as if they weren't doing anything, they weren't getting anything done when there's all these big things happening in the world. Um, and so like it felt like planting things, um, which is again, something we weren't actually doing, like they weren't actually feeding anyone, it just maybe felt that way. Mm -hmm. Even when they are barely touching, the speaker says they are not adding anything, that line that you were just talking about. Um, and, and to me, it, it seems like they're not 
adding anything you suggested to their relationship, but I was thinking like the more like planetary situation that he's talking about. We're not adding anything to the world. Um, and so maybe it's like a, we were these small couple just worried about touching each other and, and our own relationship outside of the, the peace and the guns that are happening outside or the, the feeding of a whole people. We were just worried about ourselves. Um, and maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, but to me it, it felt like he was, it was almost a recrimination on himself that we should have been doing more. Uh, we should have been adding things. Um, but it's interesting because at the very end, the line that threw me, and I think we all talked about this at some point, is the very end where he says, um, we didn't stand for one thought, didn't do a damn thing. Um, it couldn't, it could be read in two different ways. The ultimate of regret or relief of that guilt. We didn't do anything to stop it or we didn't do anything to deserve it. So I wasn't sure what that we didn't do or we didn't stand, if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know that um, we're, we're so. supposed to know that. Maybe it's the author yeah. leaving us with the question. Sure. Think about my poem a little bit more when you, when you quit reading it. Um, and I mentioned this at the very end. It's true. Uh, it's not whether we're right or you're right, or it's, I think it's helpful to just see so many different opinions yeah. about one piece of literature. Um, so, mm -hmm. Okay, we'll continue with the attitude or the tone with Margie. Okay, so um, I think this uh, is a natural progression in our discussion. The attitude or the tone is the feeling that the speaker is happening and I, is having, and I see that shifting uh, through the poem. Um, there's, I feel there are many attitudes in this poem. In some places, the change is very subtle. But the shifts show the struggle. The speaker's mm -hmm. voice begins with a calm contentment. The pacing, I feel, is relaxed. He begins, peace on this planet, or guns glowing hot. We lay there together as if we were getting something done. And we feel this ease of acceptance that whatever else is going on in the world, it doesn't matter in this intimate moment between two people. And he extends that attitude by explaining that it felt like planting a garden or planning a meal for a people who still need feeding. Both ideals, all these ideals are and worthy acts. They're gratifying and provide pleasure. And then there's a change in attitude in the lines, all that touching or barely touching, not saying much, not adding anything. I now sense that the speaker and his partner are not laying together in an embrace necessarily as I first imagined, that they are barely touching. And there's an attitude of reflection and mild criticism in his words, not adding anything. That line break that you mentioned emphasizes anything. And then he says, the cushion of it. And the word cushion implies something comfortable, yet it also means something that protects against discomfort. Hmm. And I sense that hint of regret. The speaker is reflecting and clarifying in his own head how he felt in that moment versus how he feels now. He uses the word seemed when it says 
it seemed like work worth mastering. And that word seemed carries a heavy weight. And um, continuing on, there's a big change in the tone in the sentences. I'm sure somebody died while we made love. Somebody killed somebody black. And the attitude becomes more detached and uh, resigned. Um, when the speaker says, I may as well have held myself, he sounds lonely. And I have this image of him protecting himself, guarding himself, certainly alone. The attitude changes again and quickly from this moment of self-care to one of disappointment in oneself when he says, we didn't do a damn thing. And then we have that last line, and I don't know what to make of that line either. Uh, on one reading, I think, yes, that organic image, I think, Greg, that you mentioned, remains, that organic image of love. And perhaps the speaker is saying that that love was what was important in that moment. But then on another reading, and after repeated readings, I lean toward feeling that the speaker is not at peace with not taking a stand. He regrets doing nothing. And instead, he is maybe convincing himself again that that love was important. I feel this last line contains a, an, attitude, an attitude or a tone of rationalization and resignation. Marjorie, can I ask, because you're, you're reading the, I'm glad we didn't line that yeah. way, right? Right. So how, how do you read that as a tone of rationalization and resignation? Because it has the word glad, like we're happy, I'm glad that we didn't. I struggled with the what the didn't is, like didn't stand for a thought or didn't do a damn thing. I read it as, as all of that. Okay. I read it that, you know, first he's saying we didn't do a damn thing. And now that you have left me, I'm glad we didn't. I don't know. It sounds oh. like he's not totally convinced to me. I, I, maybe I want to see that, that he's not yeah. totally convinced. So I'm, I'm glad that I didn't put the effort in because you left me anyway? Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure exactly what that last line means. Right. So yeah, no, I was just trying to understand what you were saying. That's all. I feel like in the way he's rationalizing mm -hmm. that, they, that they didn't do anything, that they just enjoyed their moment together. Right? Huh. Yeah. But on one hand, when you make a choice, don't you go back and say, was that the right thing? Right. So I, I feel that it leaves us with that question. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I kind of uh, thought the same way Margie did. I think, to me, the tone gets really serious, and it's either a, a, mm -hmm. a gay rights issue or a black rights issue where somebody's dying, and he, there's that social issue of racism, or should he be with his partner? Um, and he feels he has to choose. And when that moment gets serious in the poem, um, I almost sit straight up and sort of mm -hmm. become really uh, in tune with what he's saying. And about halfway through the poem, the author says, I'm sure somebody died while we made love. Somebody killed somebody black. Those nice images from earlier about being with someone you love and planning and planting and preparing the meal, all of that uh, now shift to death because of in inaction some action happened 
and it's not very it's not a very positive and kind of kind of gloomy right here and i think he there is some regret at the end now i don't know that but i see him as having a little bit of regret at the end um megan you had uh, oh other stuff about the the oh, shift okay I, you know what, I, I, yeah. you should have started this section. I apologize for that. No, it's so um, good. All right, you're good. Go ahead. So I think, I think Margie was already talking. So my shift, my part was about the shifts, which I think Margie did a great job doing, talking about the shift in tone. Um, what I was focusing on was just that part that I was asking her about, which is that line at the end about, I'm glad we didn't, because that threw me. Because I was, I felt like I understood this kind of feeling of, anger and regret and feeling like there's like there are these things that are going on that are invading their their relationship um but that word i'm glad we didn't made me have to take a minute and go back and read the whole thing over and over again because the idea of being glad like i i didn't i didn't feel the bitterness or the resignation towards himself um, as much as I felt like I'm glad that we didn't take a stand because we didn't do anything to deserve this. Like we weren't political, like we weren't really political, even though he kind of thought of it as a political act. I don't know. Um, I, it, to me, it felt more like a, I think it's also because I read that as you left me as in you were taken from me um, right. rather than like you left me as if you chose to leave me. So maybe that's why I read it in the way that I did. Um, that this this bigger external force came in and kind of in, uh, invaded their world, and so the that I'm glad we didn't do anything was more of a at least I still had that moment with you, mm -hmm. like I'm glad I still had you at for the time that he had. Um, so this I said that the poem's full of dichotomies, love and death, peace and war. The speaker's love encompasses all of these things and has to deal with all of these things, even though it's not his fault. The anger and resentment is directed at the world that has forced him to deal with these things. Um, but I definitely see what you guys, what you were saying, Margie, where it's more like he's angry with himself for not taking a stand. Um, and so it, that's why I find this this conversation really interesting. Yeah, I agree that if we, if we read it as though um, his partner was taken from him, then is different. I think it yeah. leads to a different feeling, a different tone, different yeah. attitude at the end. Right. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad we didn't. I see that. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, okay. We'll go back to the, we'll revisit the title and Carla will start that. Okay. So after I had read the poem, over a period of two weeks because I read it multiple times. Um, I think I ended up with more questions about the title than when I started with because I did see so many possibilities for meaning. But I think that's the sign of a good poem. Um, and when I first started looking at this poem, I mean, who knew that this short little eight sentence poem would have been so complex. Um, now, me, the title stand, suggests that each person must decide what he or she will stand for or take a stand against. And sometimes it's something huge that's beyond ourselves. And sometimes we just have to take a stand for ourselves and what we immediately care about. 
when all is right with our own world, we can focus on standing up for social ills and affecting change. However, when something deeply personal commands our attention, we must focus our energy and our mind on whatever that is. And does that make us selfish? Maybe. Um, but I think it also makes us smart in the sense that we are protecting ourselves from whatever is out there in our larger world when we're not prepared to deal with it at that one moment. And I, I was reminded of a couple of lines from a Rush song. Um, I never thought I would say that in a sentence, but <laughs> I was. Um, and the two lines are, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So if you choose not to take a stand for or against whatever issue is in front of you, you still have chosen. And to go back to um, a phrase that I thought about initially, you are standing down from whatever that bigger issue is to choose yourself. Greg, you've had a good impact on her. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you brought those words in from Rush. And I mean, these are strong words, strong words from Rush, strong words from Jericho Brown. And I still think there is this discomfort in choosing. I think of the phrase, um, stand and be recognized. And in the end, we have to come to terms with our choices, whether that is satisfaction or regret. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yep. And finally, we'll close with the theme and Megan will lead that discussion. Well, so again, with my reading at, of the end, for me, this poem is about how a love can be interrupted. It can be entwined and destroyed by the politics of the external world, the bigger world outside of a relationship. To me, this character, the speaker, was a man who loved another and felt like he was doing something beautiful, peaceful, and barely anything, nothing deserving of pain or destruction, and lost his partner because of these external factors. Um, these people who still need feeding, the killing of black people, the uh, guns glowing hot, all of these are the things that got in the way of their mastering their love for each other. Yeah, and a theme I took from the poem is life gives us tough choices to make. How many times do we look back on choices we've made and wonder if it was the right choice? You didn't regret your choice, but you always question it. Choosing love here over standing up for civil or gay rights there, that's a, that's a tough choice. Does it create selfishness if you, if you choose love over a societal issue? Um, I, I'm not sure. And I often think about the decisions I make being beneficial for whom? If they're beneficial for me, is that selfishness? Or should I have done something more for society? And it's a, it's a theme I, I wrestle with regularly. And, and I saw the overall theme in a slightly different way. And I don't know that um, I'm overly confident of my conclusions. Um, but again, I kept wrestling with the meaning of this poem for a couple of weeks. And I keep coming back to that last sentence and that last line that we've all had trouble with. We didn't stand for one thought, didn't do a damn thing, Derek. And though you have left me, I'm glad we didn't. And, and I'll just interject, I thought it was interesting that when I looked up this poem, he specifically names Derek, but when the poet reads the poem himself, he does not mention a person's name at all. So I just thought that hmm. was interesting. That is interesting. I, but I kept thinking, who would be glad that they didn't take a stand against so many issues that the poem names? Why would you be glad about that? 
because yeah. he, he mentions gun violence and he mentions hunger and, and racial profiling and inequity. And he mentions LGBTQ rights and all of those are important social issues that socially conscious individuals would want to take a stand for or against. Yet the speaker says we didn't do a damn thing and I'm glad we didn't. So that made me wonder, did he lose his partner because of external factors? And he doesn't say you are gone or I lost you or they took you away. He says, you have left me. And to me, that said that his partner made a choice to leave for whatever reason. I don't know if that's correct. That's just the way that I read it. And it made me think that he and his partner were choosing to keep all these external factors out of their relationship. They could have made a political statement with their relationship, but they didn't. And they could have stood up for whatever the beliefs, their beliefs were, but they didn't. And they chose not to get involved. Instead, they focused on themselves. And again, is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. Sometimes individuals get caught up in their own personal minutia, even though there are much bigger problems in the world outside themselves. Despite some superficial regret, regret um, deep down they're grateful to be somewhat selfish and egocentric because it keeps them safe. And to me, he was saying they don't have to be the poster person for black rights or for LGBTQ rights. They can just be. Um, because I've heard some of my friends who are persons of color talk about why should I always be the one to promote racial equity? I want to see some of my white friends take up this cause um, for me. So I, I don't know, that's just what I thought of, that maybe they were just tired of trying to champion those rights and they just wanted to focus on their relationship. And then I also wondered if the speaker was maybe glad because this relationship didn't work. Um, he didn't take a stand for the two of them and maybe now he's glad because it wasn't meant to be. All right, yeah. Um, I, you mentioned um, the name. This is a personal poem, you know, that he included the name in his poem on the first writing of it. It's, I feel that it's personal and his choice is personal, it's a reflection. Is he satisfied with this choice and not taking a stand or is he conflicted? And I take away these thoughts. It is far easier to look back and analyze the difficult choices we've made than it is to make them in the first place. Whoa, well said. Hindsight <laughs> 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 is 2020, is that yep. what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, in not choosing, we do in fact choose. But it's important that we do reflect on our choices. The choices are complex, they're personal, they're tough to make. Although we can't change the choices we've made, right or wrong, then or now, we can learn from them. Maybe we can recognize and accept that we are growing, learning, erring, imperfect beings. Maybe we can recognize the complexity and difficulty in taking a stand and see that there are consequences in not taking one. And just maybe we can see that this is true for others as well. Thank you. I think we can take away two things from this discussion. First, we had the chance to stand for something, each one of us, whatever that may be for us personally, and to miss that chance often causes pain, regret, or even nonchalance, depending on your take. Second, 
it is okay to have different opinions about a work of art, such as we have done here. Different interpretations enrich the value of the poem and not diminish it. So, listener, what was your opinion to this poem? We encourage you to look at the works of art with uh, more depth, the poems and artwork. And just like just like people, there's almost always more than just meets the eye. We thank you for joining us today, and we hope you've enjoyed your time here and now have the right interpretation of Jericho Brown's stand. I would like to thank Margie, Margie Lemoyne, Megan Sanders, and Carla Tuttle for their time and insight. I'm Greg Tuttle, and we will see you next time on The Right Interpretation. <laughs>